Live from the Business Radio X studio inside Renaissance Bank, the bank that specializes in understanding you. It's time for North Fulton Business Radio. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of North Fulton Business Radio. I'm John Ray, and folks, we are broadcasting as usual from inside Renaissance Bank in beautiful Alpharetta. And if you're looking for a bank that's not going to embarrass you on Monday morning, it's a Monday morning as we uh, record this show. And you know what I mean by that if you've been following the financial news. This year's been a tough year for Monday morning for banks that go out of business. Renaissance has a rock-solid balance sheet, uh, one that you don't have to worry about whether they're going to uh, embarrass you as a customer or not. And here's the other thing. They're big enough to handle pretty much any need you can throw at them as a business, but they're small enough to deliver their services in a personal way. And I know that myself personally in terms of the clients that I work with them on. So um, go to renaissancebank.com, find one of their local offices, and give them a call. And guess what? A live person will answer the phone. Renaissance Bank, understanding you, member FDIC. And now I want to welcome Wes Wicker and Mark Wilkinson. And Wes and Mark are with Columns Fundraising Consulting. Mark and Wes, welcome. Thank you. Thank yeah, John. Be here. Yeah, thanks to both of you for being here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Columns Fundraising and how you're serving the market out there. So we're a full-service consulting firm. We work with nonprofits, in fact, nonprofits of all uh, types and sectors. Uh, we do everything from strategic planning to board coaching, staff development, feasibility studies, capital campaigns, and um, executive search. That's that's quite a that's quite a, a lineup of services. Let's before we get into some of the details there, let, let's talk a little bit about maybe the 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 firm itself. I mean, you, it's not just the two of you. You've got a pretty deep bench. Right. There are four of us that are founders of the company, principals mm-hmm. and partners. And we came together seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, each of us had substantial experience working for various nonprofits. West, for example, uh, Kennesaw State University, United Way of Metro Atlanta. Uh, I was with Piedmont Hospital for a number of years and then Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But the four of us came together, decided this was going to be our last rodeo together. And it has been awesome these past years. Uh, We are now up to 23 people on our team. And we work with clients uh, from coast to coast. Uh, We obviously uh, love to focus on clients in Georgia, Metro Atlanta, uh, North Fulton in particular. Sure. And you're... um Yours is a company, I mean, you, you talked about when you mentioned the, the scope of services, it's quite a wide variety of services, and um, it really matches where nonprofits are, right, in terms of, of the needs yeah. they have, because the needs they have typically are pretty pretty uh, comprehensive, shall we say. Yes, most, most of our clients come to us when they have a fundraising initiative. Okay. Oftentimes, we find that before we get into a fundraising campaign, we need to either revise or create a new strategic plan for the client. So 
many times our introduction mm-hmm. into the market is or into a client is with a strategic plan. Other times we find when we do a feasibility study that the board really needs some changes, some new blood, so to speak. And sometimes board members are tired and they need to roll off. And so we do some board coaching on best practices Mm -hmm. of nonprofit boards before you get into a campaign. Everybody wants to raise more money for their favorite nonprofit. Sure. But you've got to be in a good position to raise money, and that means having an adequate board, an engaged board, and means having adequate staff. The reality is that the nonprofits who do the best job at fundraising are the nonprofits who have strong and large staffs. There's a reason why Emory University and Georgia Tech raise hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. They have very large development staffs Mm -hmm. raising money, and you just can't make it appear out of the blue. You have to have, you know, feet on the street, so to speak, uh, of people going out and asking for contributions. And creating that awareness, right? So at, at a minimum, that uh, hopefully bl- blossoms into giving down the road, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah, and and you've you've got a, uh, I think a situation where, what I didn't hear you describe, Wes, what you left out is to me the most important thing. You see, you didn't mention the cause. You mentioned right that people give toward toward uh, organizations that have plowed the ground, shall we say, right? right? And they've got the infrastructure. And so it's not just about the cause itself. Well, people give to the mission. Yeah. And people have to be, in order to, to encourage somebody to contribute to a nonprofit, they really have to have the passion about whatever the mission is. Mm-hmm. And so the mission always comes first, before the people, before the board. Mm-hmm. You have to have a mission that everyone believes in mm-hmm. and a mission that, staff and volunteers can talk about to encourage people to make contributions. Yeah. And I, I I didn't, I don't mean to make a a light of the cause or the mission. I guess the point I'm making is, is that um, people want to know that their funds are well utilized, right? Because there's a lot of different, um, I guess let's call it cancer related charities that you could, give to right mm-hmm. nonprofits that you give to right so the question it becomes who sticks their head above everyone else in terms right. of their management their as you said the their development staff the way they run their organization etc right yeah right. does that make sense yeah absolutely and there there are many ways you can determine if a nonprofit is efficient one is to simply go online and read their 990 everybody all nonprofits, even though they're not in the business to make money, they still have to file a report with the IRS every year. Okay. So they're filing an, what is an IRS Form 990, and you can see the efficiency level of their income, their contributions against their expenses, and it even lists you know the top wage earners inside that that nonprofit. So you can check the efficiency there, and then there's the foundation center. Uh, which right. reviews okay. nonprofits and several other sources that you can go online and and look at the nonprofits for efficiency. And and do you guide nonprofits around that? Um, I guess being able to to look as good as they can when it comes to to um, 
potential donors that are looking at them? Absolutely, John. Uh, For years, uh, the research has shown that donors, once they are connected to an organization, they want two things when they make that contribution. They want to be acknowledged quickly Mm -hmm. and and thanked by the appropriate person or or people in the organization. And they want to make sure that you use the money the way you said you would Mm. when you asked them to give. Those are uh, day in and day out the two most important factors uh, for giving. The other thing, and and this is where uh, we we help organizations the most, the other thing that is uh, a constant is people give when they are asked. So we work with organizations with their board with their staff with other volunteers to get them to understand that you have to ask for the gift before generally the gift ever comes in mm-hmm. so we work with them in in coaching and how to make the ask mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes that is the hardest part of fundraising there are board members there are staff members uh, it's human nature some people are really good at sales, mm-hmm. we'll ask for the order. Right. There are board members and staff members that will bring the donor to the table, but cannot, will not, should not make the ask. Yeah. And we work with that, work around it, and make sure that it's always the right person soliciting the right prospect. So for every um, nonprofit, I guess that's a unique mix that they have of people. Right. And, and right. The, the person who should be doing that. I mean, I guess in some cases it might be the executive director, even though that's not necessarily their day-to-day job, the development directors, that's their kind of their job. Right. Then in other cases, it might be a lead board member or something like that. Right. It's just right. whoever's got that ability. Is right. that what we're saying? And, and, and sometimes uh, it's based upon what we know the donor wants. Mm-hmm. So there are some donors that will not respond to the director of development and only wants to meet with the CEO or executive director. Got it. Happens a lot in higher education. Mm -hmm. They want to meet with the president of the university Mm -hmm. or the CEO of the hospital. Yeah. Uh, And those are generally the donors that make those transformational gifts Mm -hmm. that take the organization to the next level. Right. Right. Um, Let's let's take a uh, sidebar here for just a second, and and, and let's just talk about um, where we are with philanthropy in general in this country, and I, I guess the trajectory over the last several years, uh, uh, not just a few years, but just like wh- where is it? Because y'all been in business, been around this for a long time. So just talk yeah. about what that looks like over over the last uh, decade or two. Sure. The one interesting thing about philanthropy in America is it's relatively constant. Mm. When the stock market goes up, giving goes up Mm -hmm. across the country. When taxes are lower, more people give to charity. When Mm. taxes are higher, or in our case in the last two years with inflation, uh, contributions have actually decreased. Mm. One of the things that is true is that two-thirds of all charitable giving in the United States is by individuals. Mm. Most people are surprised to hear that corporate giving only makes up about 5% of all philanthropy. Giving from individuals is 
this year, or, or in 2022, I should say, was 64% of all philanthropy. Then mm. you add to that giving about 11% comes from foundations. Foundations are set up by individuals. Right. They are family foundations or business-related foundations, but they're set up by individuals. Mm-hmm. So that's another 11%. And then 9% of all philanthropy comes from bequest. Well, who makes bequest? Individuals, yeah. So mm-hmm. when you look at charitable giving, yeah, almost all of it comes from individuals. When individuals have more money in their pockets, they're going to be more generous. When they've been affected by inflation as they have in the last two years, mm-hmm. they're going to give less. And that's been reflected in giving in 21 and 22. And that individual giving is actually down a little bit, which is a little unusual. The only other times charitable giving has been down is during the financial crisis in 07, 08. Mm-hmm. And as you might guess, you know, after 9-11. Right. Prior to that, you have to go all the way back to the Depression uh, before charitable giving actually year-to-year decreased. So we're living in a little bit of an unusual time where the stock market's been choppy, the S&P has been a little choppy, and charitable giving has been a little bit up and down, but it's actually decreased in the last year. Mm. And what... you and I didn't talk about this, uh, so it, if if you don't know, it's no harm, no foul. I'm just curious about that because we're pretty small and medium-sized business-oriented around here, and those those contributions are driven largely by individuals too, right? right. And, and I'm just curious about the proportions of small and medium-sized businesses and what they give versus what major corporations give. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm of course, we're biased toward small business around here, so I would bet it was – to me, I'd be betting it's higher, right? But maybe I'm wrong. Small business is the backbone of America. Yeah. It's the backbone of philanthropy in the yeah. United States. When we look at who gives, yeah. uh, a lot of individual giving is giving through a privately held company. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about 64% of all gifts came from individuals, a fair amount of that came from individuals who – the check or the contribution may have actually come from their privately held business as opposed to you know large fortune 500 okay company. okay so you're you're capturing that in that data right. you gave us earlier right. that's good to know uh, yeah. keep at it small businesses we appreciate right. you yeah we appreciate right. you for sure um so uh, let's let's talk about you talked about the the way um, on a high level, how individuals, business owners can look at nonprofits and judge who they ought to be giving to from a financial point of view. What other factors should they be looking at beyond just the mission that they care about? Uh, A lot of donors will um, look at organizations that are here today and will be here tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So they've done their research, as Wes mentioned. They've looked at the 990s. Uh, they've met with the team, the staff, mm-hmm. some of the board members. And in in their eyes, there is nothing wrong with a not-for-profit making a profit or excess revenue over expense right. on an annual basis. Donors look for organizations that are well-run. Mm-hmm. 
And if there are organizations that are teetering, and there are some out there, mm. uh, it's harder for a donor to consider that investment because yeah. it may only be prolonging the, the situation for another six or 12 months before mm-hmm. the ultimate decision needs to be made. Do you recommend uh, a certain kind of, uh, for donors, a certain kind of track record that they need to see uh, the length of time in existence or does that matter? It, it matters uh, sometimes. Uh, a lot of donors will ask us this question. They'll say, well, I'm happy to consider supporting this organization, but what has their board done? So they will have looked at a roster of board members mm. and point blank ask us, does each one of these board members give? Mm. Because it's more than time and expertise for board members Donors need to see that board members have skin in the game too right. with financial contributions. So we get asked that a lot. And it's not necessarily board members that have to be the largest donors, but they need to be at the 100% level. Yeah, got uh, That it. shows yeah. passion for the cause. So you, when you flip that over and you're consulting with nonprofits, you're, that's one of the things you're immediately coming in and talking to them about is board right. involvement, right? Right. Yeah. And you want board members that it's where it's more than just something to put on their CV. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's sometimes hard when we come in to an organization that has uh, a board made up of members that have been on there for a while. Mm-hmm. There are board members that have told us point blank, while well, I give my time and expertise, mm. um, you know, the, the best practice when a board member is being recruited is to show them a simple job description. Here is what we expect of you as a volunteer board member. Right. Number one, in addition to your time and expertise, we expect you to make a financial contribution. Other donors expect you to make that financial contribution. Uh, we expect you to attend meetings at a uh, reasonable uh, amount. It's, it's okay to miss a meeting occasionally, right. but... We, we need your participation. And then we need you as a spokesperson and an advocate in the community. But the first item on that job description is a financial contribution. Yeah, It's easier to do with someone that's new to the board than it is with existing board members that haven't given before. Right. I'd like to say it's yeah. time, talent, and treasure. Yep. And we expect all three, not two of the three. <laughs> not, not your choice of the two, right? right. Yeah, That's yeah, right. or of the three. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not two out of three works. It's exactly. a, yeah, three out of three. Um, talk about you. You mentioned, um, I think it was you, Wes, that mentioned the that where you get pulled in initially by most nonprofits is through a, some sort of fundraising initiative that they're uh, doing, or they've got a problem, or whatever that it's related to fundraising. What's the, what are the biggest issues that you see with nonprofits and their ability to fundraise? What, what distinguishes those that are successful versus aren't? Sure. So I would say first, I'd look at the staff. You know, is the staff adequate? If you're going to raise, let's say, a $50 million campaign, you can't do it with an executive director and a few 
administrative type staff and people who generally work in the office. You have to have a development staff. You have to have grant writers Mm -hmm. or employ grant writers. Columns has a team of grant writers Mm. that we deploy to clients who need that service. Um, You have to have great board members, people who are truly advocates, cheerleaders for the organization and board members who are willing to go out and ask. Mm -hmm. The fundraising initiatives have to follow the strategic plan. So we always look at the strategic plan to see, you know, is this thing, whatever the thing is that they're raising money for, is it one of the key elements in the strategic plan? Because if it's not, one of the two has to be adjusted either the initiative needs to change or the strategic plan needs to change. But all fundraising should be directed to fit mm. the strategic plan of the organization because the plan is to explain where the organization's going a year, two years, five years down the road. Mm-hmm. So those are the first things we look at. Yeah. And and what – I guess where's the biggest gap typically that you find is just the people um, and and what their capabilities are in terms of fundraising, getting the right people in the right seats, as it were. Right. The networking, you need both staff and board members who are well networked Mm -hmm. in the community and hopefully well respected in the community. But it's hard to go out and ask complete strangers to make a charitable contribution. I'd, I'd, I like the analogy of, um, you know, when I was young and single, I didn't ask the first woman I saw on the street how many kids she wanted to have. Generally, you would, <laughs> you would introduce yourself first, right? right? And that then, always uh, helps, yeah. And ask for a date and hopefully create a relationship. And then you start might you might start talking about children down the road. Yeah. Well, the same is true in fundraising. Yeah. Uh, if you're looking to ask someone, if you're you're – you you have an idea of, of someone you want to ask for a gift. You got to meet them first. Yeah, you got to create a relationship first. You have to explain the mission of your organization and hopefully cultivate a relationship before you ask for the gift. Mm-hmm. And that's where we see most nonprofits lacking. It's just a lack of network, a lack of cultivating by both staff and board members. Yeah, that takes not only intention, but it takes some, um, uh, I guess, a tenure, right, of right. Of, of the people. Because if right. you have if you have turnover, yeah. whether it's in the board or staff, you've got a problem. You lose a step. Yeah, you lose a step or several steps. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. And that that is part of the reason our business has evolved uh, so much into the executive search area because we help not-for-profits identify the people they need for their C-suite. Yeah. The chief development officer, the CEO, the chief advancement officer. We, I mean, you've got to have that consummate professional at the top of the organization leading the fundraising program. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because that's well, that's where I was headed next, was was to ask about the state of, of nonprofit leadership and is nonprofit leadership subject to the same issues that we're seeing kind of economy wide in terms of talent shortages? Absolutely. Mm. Uh, there generally, and this has been true for a number of years, 
The average tenure of a development professional mm-hmm. is about 18 months. Wow. It's not very long. Mm-hmm. What we want to do is encourage the organization to hire that C-suite level talent that is going to be there for a while and that will build his or her team. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other the other side of it is when we are doing uh, executive search for not-for-profits, sometimes it's a huge wake-up call for the board when we tell them what the salary ranges need to be mm. because there is still some belief out there that, well, this is a nonprofit. We can't afford to pay what a CEO or a chief development person type salesperson would make out in the for-profit world. Sure. Well, you may not be able to afford it, but you need to afford it. Let's yeah. figure out how we can do that because uh, some <laughs> some of the salaries – when we recommend to our clients what the range should be, board members fall off their chairs. Uh, <laughs> but we'll also tell you, if we can get them to agree to that, the people that we hire for them stay. Mm. And that is that type of continuity is key yeah. to success. Yeah, yeah. Wes Wicker and Mark Wilkinson, folks, who bring their smelling salts with them on every engagement <laughs> when they start talking about salaries. Um, um, yeah, I want to, you, you talked about track record, Mark, you're setting me up here uh, uh, one after another. I wanted to get into, um, the, first of all, the, the types of nonprofits you work with. Is, is there any descriptor in terms of the ideal client for you? Well, we work in the uh, healthcare sector, higher mm-hmm. ed, independent schools. We have a, a substantial amount of business in membership organization, Greek fraternal organizations, mm-hmm. alumni groups, uh, uh, kind of uh, organizations. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd say we're a general practice firm. We haven't okay. concentrated in one sector. Got it. Uh, we feel like by being a diverse firm in terms of not only our consultants but of our clients we can sometimes find you know innovative practices in one sector say higher education that we might bring to health and human services so we think there's strength in the diversity of our clients Mm -hmm. Uh, in terms of your question of is there an ideal client um, i would say a client that is preparing to launch a campaign for a major initiative and they bring us in to examine, you know, create a gap analysis, so to speak, in in terms of a business term, a gap analysis of where they want to be and where they currently are. Mm. Interestingly enough, most nonprofit boards and oftentimes the chief executive officers offices uh, have a really good idea where they want to be, but perhaps not a realistic perspective on where they currently are. Really? So we we try to show them the differences. And sometimes that's by comparing them to similar nonprofits in Mm. terms of their staffing, in terms of their board, in terms of their giving history. So it's, it's great when a nonprofit has the ambition and the vision to move to a certain level. They have to understand where they currently are and what their history has been. Mm. And so we help do that in terms of our feasibility study and 
in our analysis of, of where the nonprofit is. So you have to bring truth into the room. Yes. <laughs> yeah, sometimes is that a way to say it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's, it's hard messages to the board. Right. Uh, you know, some of the most humorous uh, experiences we've had is we meet with a, a nonprofit executive or chief development officer who says, you know, I need to, I need you to deliver this message to the board because they can't deliver it. Uh, mm. You know, the board either doesn't pay attention to them because they view them as quote unquote staff, you sure. know, the hired staff, right? Or you know, they're just too close uh, mm-hmm. to the organization, and and perhaps the message they need to deliver might put them in a perilous position with their employers, the board. So we get to come in and sort of deliver the hard messages, uh, so to speak. Wow. What a, what a, yeah, that's, uh, that creates some interesting moments. I'm sure. Um, any, any size parameters in terms of the, you mentioned you've got a wide diversity of, uh, different kinds of nonprofits, but certain sizes that they, they need to fall in. We, we generally, work with nonprofits that have half million dollars or more, uh, income. Okay. Um, you know, the large organizations, uh, large colleges, universities generally don't hire consultants. So, uh, you know, a Georgia tech and Emory or university of Georgia is probably not going to hire consultants. They have such large staffs and resources. Right. Uh, so we look at, at sort of middle, Around one to five million dollar nonprofits. Got it. Uh, whether it's their annual income or their income plus their investments and endowment. Mm-hmm. So in that one to five million dollar, but we work with a lot of nonprofits that are between about a half million and a million as well. Got it. As we uh, wind down here with this conversation, this has been great, uh, Wes, Mark. I'd love it if maybe you could share a success story or two. Um, you don't have to mention names if it's not appropriate, but um, the situation that you think illustrates the great work that your company does. So I would start with uh, <clears throat> one of my passions and it's legacy giving. It is for all of us to leave our legacy in this world. Mm-hmm. And the way I approach it with clients is very, very simple because Donors sometimes get that deer and headlights look when you start talking about estate giving. Mm -hmm. And we need to make sure that we are talking in plain words and tell them to get their own advisors later, the attorneys, the CPAs, uh, all of those professionals, because leaving a legacy is very simple. In my humble opinion, and this is what I coach our clients with their donors and their prospects. If you do three things in life, in my opinion, you have truly left your legacy. Number one, take care of yourself. As we age, we all have health care and housing needs and, and other things. Make sure that your estate is taking care of you. Number two, take care of your family and friends through your estate planning. And number three, Take care of your favorite charities. In my opinion, again, if you do those three things, take care of yourself, take care of family and friends, and take care of your favorite charities, you've truly left your legacy in this world. Yeah. Um, great. I'd love to hear a success story. Sure. 
Yeah, from uh, you know a nonprofit that you've worked with that um, um, helps illustrate the great work you do. Sure. Well, one of your uh, favorite charities, uh, the Community Foundation for Northeast Georgia. We know those we nice know folks. Those yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, we began working with them a long time ago before uh, Randy Redner was involved. Uh, did a strategic plan for Judy Waters, who okay. was um, the longtime exec there. That strategic plan included a succession plan because Judy was looking toward retirement. I was involved on the search, which landed Randy Redner. Ah. So I not only did the strategic plan, but I was involved in the executive search. Randy came on board, and we conducted uh, a second strategic plan for them, and we've been involved with them uh, ever since that time. So it's one of our oldest clients. Mm-hmm. We, we've they've been a client since we've been a consulting firm, ah. and uh, it's been. Very rewarding to see DePriest Waddy, who's also a very good friend of ours, mm-hmm. um, step into that position, and they are expanding their scope uh, into North Fulton and, and across North Georgia. So to see that organization where it was financially eight, nine, ten years ago and see where it is now, it's, it's almost like a, a different organization, quite frankly. Yeah, And that's been very rewarding. Locally, um, I'm working with Family Promise in North Fulton and DeKalb. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite organizations, and um, we've seen it from what I would call a startup or grassroots nonprofit, working with a small number of congregations to helping people find transitional housing and permanent housing to now a staff um, headquartered in the Roswell Community Center. Um, and... Um, it's been extremely rewarding to see their fundraising increase dramatically in the last two years. When I first got involved with them, a $500 gift was a sizable gift. Uh, they just received a $50,000 wow. contribution. So the That's wonderful. average gift coming in the door to Family Promise uh, has increased dramatically in the last two years. And again, that's staff and board. Uh, the development of both a staff uh, with Andrea Brantley and a strong board has really paid dividends for that group. And what a great cause. They're helping people find housing. Yeah, yeah, uh, so, for sure. So those are two examples of, of good success stories. Yeah, those are terrific examples. You know, people are going to listen to this, are going to think I'm throwing you a softball question, but I really, I really am not. I would think that one of the – distinguishing factors and you guys are too modest to say this but one one of the distinguishing factors of when a donor is trying to look at a nonprofit and see you know are they management worthy for me to make a long-term commitment to that they're hiring outside people that can help them right i mean that right. because th- this is true for businesses i mean the sure. the best run businesses are the ones that have outside advisors that they rely on that can see the forest for the trees as it were and it's the same in nonprofit area right it is everybody well, thinks thanks, i'm just John, I, yeah uh, I, I don't <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate the plug yeah yeah well it, it is and one of the things i would say about our firm which i consider a bit different from other firms is everyone affiliated with columns has at least 25 years experience in the field. Mm. We have a team of grant writers. I can show you their track record of how many grant applications are funded. In addition to Mark and myself, uh, we have two other partners. One spent 
a good bit of his career at Georgia Tech as a senior development officer. The other, uh, that's David Carrico, and the other is Scott Sykes, who was the executive director of the Shepherd Center Foundation, as well as one of the longest tenured members of the development team at University of Georgia. Mm. So we bring to the table a great deal of experience. Mm -hmm. We know what it's like to be a chief development officer, and uh, we know what it's like to be an executive director and the pressures of, of everyday life and work. Uh, and we bring that to the table. Yeah. Great words and great work from Wes Wicker, Mark Wilkinson of Columns Fundraising. Kudos to both of you and your team and the great work you're doing. We're excited to be able to highlight that work. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having us. Today. Thank you, John. Absolutely. But before we let you go, let's get to the most important question, which I can ask, which is for folks that want to know more about your firm and how you can help them in their work, uh, how can people get in touch? Well, they can go to our website, columnsfundraising.com. tells a little bit more about our team and the services and the clients that we've worked with uh, through the years. Or they can email us at info at columnsfundraising.com. Terrific. Wes Wicker and Mark Wilkinson, Columns Fundraising Consulting, thanks again for coming in. Thank you. Thank you, John. Absolutely. Hey, folks, just a uh, quick reminder. If you've got some, uh, speaking of outside uh, help, if you've got some issues in your small business where you need some help, you need to get rid of those administrative tasks that you've been working on, or you've you need to have somebody else to be doing the books. Um, Office Angels has a terrific firm, and I know this from dealing with them myself. I couldn't run my business without them. They have a whole team of angels who have a wide variety of talents, and they fly in, get the job done, and they fly out. And they do it on an ongoing or as-needed basis. They're not a temp firm or a placement agency. Um, They work on a contract basis to get whatever job is you need done. And they do it um, quickly and accurately and um, respectfully, and they're terrific. And so if that's something you need for your small business, my suggestion is to call them at 678-528-0500 or go to officeangels.us. And I think you'll be glad you did. And let them know we sent you, by the way. Um, quick, couple of quick uh, items, and then we'll let you go for this time on North Fulton Business Radio. I've got a book coming out later this year. It's called The Price and Value Journey, Raising Your Confidence, Your Value, and Your Prices Using the Generosity Mindset Method. If you're a professional services provider and you've got problems with your pricing, it may be a good book for you. So go to pricevaluejourney.com to learn more about that, sign up for updates, and to um, learn more. Also, I want to thank you, our listeners. You have uh, served us over the years by continuing to support us. We, we've almost to show number 700 of North Fulton Business Radio. It's hard to believe we have come that far, but we've come that far because of your support. We're so grateful to you. If you have heard something in this show that makes you want to share the show, you you may be a board member of a nonprofit. You need to share this with your uh, executive director. But uh, that's how we get the word out on the great work of business leaders like Mark and Wes. So can, please continue to share the show and help us 
fulfill our mission to be the voice of business in the North Fulton region. So for my guest, Wes Wicker, Mark Wilkerson, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on North Fulton Business Radio.